Hey, if you got your notes, why don't you go ahead, open them up. We're going to dive in uh, right away this morning. Today we're kicking off a new series entitled Grow. If you've been with us uh, through the summer, what you know is we're journeying through the book of Mark. Uh, Mark is this incredible uh, gospel. It's the very first beginning of the New Testament. There's Matthew, and then there's Mark, Luke, and John. All four tell uh, the story of Jesus, the good news of what he came to do. And what I love about Mark is Mark is just kind of like, he just tells it as it is. It's not, doesn't have a whole lot of uh, narrative, or not narratives, it doesn't have a whole lot of like teaching in it. It's a lot of action packs, fast-paced, immediately type deal, uh, and we've been teaching through it uh, for quite a bit, uh, doing different series through it, and this morning we're kicking off a series uh, called Grow, and it's one of the only f- or few places where Mark stops uh, to take time to talk about Jesus' teaching. It said, he says a lot in the book of Mark that Jesus taught, but he doesn't tell a lot what he teaches, and he highlights four particular parables that Jesus uh, is going to teach and he thinks these four are so significant that he's going to stop the action for a second so that we can catch up and understand what he's teaching. He he believes these are at the core for every single person in how we grow in life, grow spiritually. Uh, Let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Jesus, our heart is to meet with you, to hear from you, to be changed by you, and, and then to enter in into the deep and wonderful calling and, and beautiful mission that you have for us. Father, I ask that you would, in this space and in this time, that you would speak, that you would give uh, me the words to say, and uh, that your word would be clear, that I wouldn't mess it up, honestly. And God, would you, as a church, allow us to grow? Would you allow us to grow in our impact in this community? Would you allow us to grow in our love for one another and those around? Would you allow us to grow in our faith and stepping out and and courageously trusting you with our lives? Would you allow us to grow as a people who extend hope in the hopeless circumstances? God, may we be a church that grows. In this series, would you do something deep and great in us? And as a result, may we see you do significant things in our community through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Webster defines the word grow this way. To spring up and develop to maturity, to have an increasing influence, to become increasingly acceptable or attractive. Uh, When we look around at the world, uh, we notice that it's either doing one of two things. It it is either growing uh, in a process of growing in health and vitality, or it's in a process of dying and and withering and decaying. We look at the, you know, plant world, and you see that plants grow, and I have a garden that I'm growing in my backyard, uh, or trying to at least, and we notice that healthy things are growing in a process of springing life. But when it's unhealthy plant, it begins to decay, it begins to die, and it begins to wither. Animals grow and reproduce. Uh, Fungi grows in the dark. Um, Organizations grow. And one of the ways we know know, a healthy organization is that it has a healthy bottom line. Uh, And people grow. People grow older, 
You know, there's something about growing up as a kid, you can't wait to get older, and then there's that threshold where you wish you could get younger. <laughs> you remember that? Some of you are still there. Uh, sometimes uh, people grow bigger, and uh, this is a good thing when you're younger. You know, you, you, you grow taller, but when you grow older, you grow wider, and it's no longer a good thing. People are said to grow wiser. Uh, and what's interesting is if we don't see them in a process of growing wiser, we'll say things like this about them. They need to grow up. They need to grow out of certain behaviors. And what we see, and we all know this to be true, everything healthy grows, but not everything that grows is healthy, right? Everything that we see in the natural world that is healthy is in a state of growing and producing life, but not everything that's growing is healthy, right? It is life-giving. Infections and virus grows, don't they? And spread and attack the body. Rust grows and spread and attacks a car. Weeds grow, seeking to choke out my beautiful garden. And even relationships, relationships that were once growing in intimate love are said to then we grew distant and apart. It grows cold. Everything healthy grows, but not all growth is healthy. We live, we live in a world uh, where growth is natural, growth is normal, and, and growth is necessary. A uh, necessary for sign of life, a necessary sign of health, a necessary sign of progress. We live in a world where when you look around, if you do not see growth, then you have to ask some questions. Is it healthy? We got to see it here in our church too. If we're not growing, if we're not seeing spiritual life, we have to ask the question, is it healthy? If we're actually not, not all growth numerically is healthy, but if we're not starting, beginning to grow numerically, we got to ask, is it healthy? As a people, we're obsessed with growth. We're constantly obsessed with growth. We want to see our bank accounts grow, our portfolios grow, our 401ks grow. We want to see our influence grow. Today, there's a conversation among young Christian leaders about how to grow their platforms, how to grow their platforms on the blogospheres, on the tweet decks, and their podcast. And honestly, I think it breaks the heart of God. We want to grow our time. In fact, um, we read maybe time management books to be more effective and efficient with our time. Try as we may, we can never somehow make time grow, however. It's that fixed constant in our life that reminds us there's a limited amount of time to grow. There is a limited amount of time to become who we long to become. There's a limited amount of time to mature. See, we all... Every single one of us, so what's true of every single one of us in this room is we all deeply, deeply want to grow. And even though growth is normal, natural, it's not always easy, is it? Growth is hard. Growth is really hard. In fact, when growth gets hard, we have a word for it. What is the word? Anybody? Or a phrase, I guess. Let me mess you up. Growing pains, that's right. We have growing pains. If physically we experience growing pains, you begin to, you, know, you remember as a kid and your shin started to hurt, you started to grow. Relationally, we experience growing pains. 
personally, you experience growing pains. And in fact, it is that necessary, expected part of growing that somehow catches us unexpectedly, isn't it? Growing pains. The minute we hit it, we're like, oh my goodness. But we, we expect it, and all of a sudden it catches us off guard. But even spiritually, by the way, you experience growing pains. Um, there are specific areas, if you can kind of think, and just would you think in your own area right now, what are specific areas that I long to see growth in? We all have them. We all have specific areas where we want to see specific growth, where we want to see, hey, I want to grow and become better here. For me, I have a stack of books uh, that are is almost as tall as I am, and they're all on leadership. I want to grow in my leadership. I, I really believe that if we're going to have a church that's going to awaken this generation and we're going to see the city change, then I've got to become a better leader and help lead our church better. And so I want to grow in that. And I got a stack of books, and now my Kindle that I got is now starting to fill up so I don't have to carry all those books. I want to grow as a husband. I want to grow as a dad. I want to grow as a pastor. I want to grow as a friend. I just want to grow as a person. I don't know about you. I just want to grow. I want to see progress from, from where I started to where I finish in life. And then if I'm honest, I begin to move to my interior world. And, and we're going to talk more about this next week. But, but your interior world, I want to grow my character and my integrity and who I am as a, as a person intrinsically. It, it is the area of life that honestly matters most, and yet we don't give it much attention at all because we're so fixated on the things outside of us that we long to see grow, and we, we, it's so physical and it's so tangible. And then there's the interior world that's so easy to dismiss and to hide and then the Apostle Paul writes something that has just been wrecking my world. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is that the natural result of those who are growing with God, think about this, the natural byproduct, what happens for those who are deeply connected with the God of the universe is first and foremost a life that is defined and expressed of love. A life that is defined and expressed by joy and by peace. This is irregardless of the circumstances around them. This is the interior world that brings stability no matter what the world is happening around them. Think about that, of love, of joy, of peace, of patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness. More than growing in success, if I'm really honest, more than growing my bank account or even growing this church, I long to see those to be true of me. I, I long that if you would describe me, that you'd describe me as a man who loves well. I, I long that, um, that if you would see me, that he's so joyful, that my kids... My kids would define me as a dad who's patient and kind and good. And my wife would say, hey, what a faithful man, gentle, self-control. And yet, yet if I'm honest, and maybe if we're all honest, 
Growth feels elusive at times, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels out of reach or beyond us, or even non-existent. Yet growth is, this is true, growth is slow and arduous in every single way. Growth is almost, by the way, impossible to see close up. That's the reason it is so discouraging at times. Because if you like, look at a plant and you go out the next day, you almost don't see any growth. You can never see growth close up. It only happens over the long haul as you look back. See, growth doesn't take place in a day, but takes place daily. I think of the last fruit of the Spirit there, the natural byproduct, self-control or self-discipline. That's been at the top of my growth list for 15 years. I remember when I was 18 years old, 19 years old, I I longed to be self-control, and I had none of it in any area. The only things that I was controlled in, it wasn't really controlled, it was stuff I liked. That's not self-control. 15 years Slow, uphill. And by the way, it felt like I made zero progress. But now, looking back 15 years later and seeing where I was as a 19-year-old to today, like, oh, I may not be where I want to be, but I sure am not where I once was. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 7. He has this phrase that uh, I so identify, especially in the area of growing, as we're starting this conversation of of how do we grow as a people. And he says this in chapter 7. He says, For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. You ever been there? What I want to do, the person I really want to become, where I want to be, I don't do it. And then the things that I don't want to do that I hate, I go ahead and do it. And then he goes on to say this, for I have the desire to do what is good, but cannot carry it out. What a wretched man am I. It's just the honest confession that grows hard. Can we just start there this morning and start going, grows hard, grows is slow. It can even at times be discouraging. the other day, my daughter was asking a question uh, about where her food came from. It's a dangerous question with my wife, who is, used to be a vegetarian and very there, but uh, she, uh, she asked this question as she's eating a piece of chicken, where does chicken come from? And so around the table, we began to have this conversation uh, that chicken actually comes from a chicken. <laughs> And then explain that meat or, you know, steak comes from a cow. Bacon, which my kids love, comes from a pig. And uh, you could see her face get kind of, you know, hmm. And, and she, she had this line. She had this line. She said, Dad, it makes me so sad that we eat animals. And then she, with another, like, just dramatic pause, broken-hearted confession, she says this, and it makes me so sad that I like how they taste. <laughs> and that's often how I feel. I want growth. 
I, I want the fruit of the Spirit to be true of me. I want those eight qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want those to be true of me, and yet it makes me so sad how often I like the taste of selfishness over love. I like the taste of anger over joy. I like the taste of being right over bringing peace. I like the taste of my own personal broken pleasure over self-control. But here's what's interesting. The desire for growth actually points to something bigger. Did you know that the desire for growth actually, actually points to a desire for God and his kingdom. This is why, actually, uh, Mark takes this time to stop and talk, tell these parables, because he's going to point to the kingdom of God. See, the desire for growth points to a desire for God. It's a desire to be who we believe we're made to be, to experience life as it was intended or designed to be. That's the essence of the kingdom of God. We talk about the kingdom of God and say it's a ethereal thing, or we talk about, you know, and somehow it turns out to be like heaven someday, one day out there. The kingdom of God is simply this, living life how you are ultimately designed to be lived out. That's it. It is this. It is the restoration and renewal of life as it should be. The longing for growth is actually a longing for God. And we miss it all the time because we get distracted with all the other things. And it is this heart's cry of, God, I need you. I want to become who I was intended or designed to be. So, as we dive in, let's ask this question How, how do we experience growth? How do we experience growth? Not like your 401ks. Not a, how do we experience it in the areas that matter most? I asked it just a second ago. Let's ask it again. Where, where do you long to see growth take place in your life? Would you take a second and just write it down on, on your notes right there? I just wanted to stay at the forefront or at the top of our conversation as we dive into what Jesus is, is going to teach us. But where is it that you deeply long to see growth take place? That you go, God, if you would do this in my life. And, and it might be your marriage. It might be a relationship with your kids. It might be the internal reality, and there's an anger issue. There's a lust problem. There's something that you've been dealing with for a very long time, and you got it. Would you, I long to see growth here. Where is it? Where do you want it to grow? And I just want you to keep that at the top. Keep that in the forefront of the conversation. And then if you got your Bibles, would you open them up? So Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, right at the beginning of the chapter, uh, Jesus is going to tell us a series of short stories I mentioned earlier. They're called parables. A parable is just simply a, a picture that describes or tells truth. A, a parable is, is, uh, is, is taking something that's very tangible and explaining the intangible. 
It is taking something from everyday life, and it's just simply a picture with a a deep point with it uh, attached to it. And Jesus often uses parables to explain the kingdom of God. So we we can have this physical reality to kind of point back to understand this spiritual truth. And he then goes on to tell what is known as the parable of the sower. And this, he says, is such an important parable. If you don't get this parable, you miss it all. If you don't get this parable, you can't understand the other parables. This is the foundation teaching for how to grow. We pick it up in Mark 4, verse 3. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered across his field, some of the seed fell on the footpath, and birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on shallow soil with a... Sorry, wilted... Sorry. I got to get my eyes checked. Shallow soil with underlying rock. There we go. Thank you very much. The seed sprouted. Uh, the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, since it did not have deep roots. It died. Uh, but the plant, uh, other seed, fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plant, so that it produced no grain. Still, other seed fell among on fertile soil. And they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears, let them hear and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone and the 12 disciples and with the others were gathered around, they asked him, what, what did that parable mean? Got these four soils and farmer, and we don't get it. All right, well, then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? This is a foundation-setting parable. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. Uh, uh, The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long, they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorn represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life, the lure of wealth, and desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accepted God's word and produced a harvest of 30, 60 or even a hundred times as much had been planted. All right, if you got your notes, flip them over to the back side. Let's do just a little bit of work. We're actually going to spend two weeks in this parable, and let's unpack Jesus' explanation of the parable here. Because it is, here he's teaching us, okay, you want to grow, you want to experience life change, you want to see those deep areas, that area that you wrote at the top of your page, you want to see that change, you want to see your marriage change, you want to see your relationship with your kids, you want to see the internal life, you want to see growth. He says, right here, here's the starting point. And he begins to explain the parable. And he explains it, and first there's the seed. And what he tells us about the seed is it's what? What is the seed? Help me out here. The Word of God. God. Absolutely. Uh, That the seed is God's Word. Now, there's something interesting uh, that uh, in the Bible says, and if you got your Bibles, flip them over to John. John chapter 1. The seed is the word of God, and it's the good seed. And so the good seed is intended to produce a great 
crop. And so we think of, oftentimes, when I think about the Word of God, I think solely about the Bible, which is true. When he's talking about it, it is God's Word, and says, the Bible says, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates soul and marrow, that is powerful and effective, that it is His Word, that as we hide it in our heart, the psalmist says, that we might not sin against Him. But then John makes an interesting statement. If you've got your Bibles, John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Hmm. It wasn't written out then, was it? And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Well, it seems like John's not talking about a written book at this point, does it? Verse 3, through him all things were made, through him, the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Drop down then to verse 10 if you're following along in your Bibles. He, speaking of the word, was in the world, and through the world was made, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human desires, uh, decisions, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now listen to this, verse 14. The word became flesh. It's where we get our word incarnation. The word took on flesh. Literally, the word means to pitch your tent. The, the word, this word that was from the foundation of the universe, this word which is in very nature God who's created all that we see, all that we know, created you and I, says took on bodily flesh and blood and bone and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I want to suggest to you that both are at, taking place in the text here. That yes, it is true, the word of God, his word, but his word always points us to Jesus. Life change and growth happens in our response to who Jesus is, what he has done, and whether we receive him or not. This book is God-breathed, God-inspired to tell us about, and this is Sunday school answer, ready? Jesus, now you got it, very good, very good. First, explanation of the parable, the seed, the word of God. And I would just suggest to you, would you think of it and, and hold it with two realities? Yes, his written word, which is powerful and effective, but his written word always points to the word, Jesus. Without Jesus, you will not experience fundamental core interior life change, period. You'll have some behavior modification on the exterior, but your interior world will never fully change. That's the reason we have this mission statement, to awaken this generation to new life. Only Jesus brings new life. 
Second thing we see here is not only the seed, which is the word of God, the soil, the hearts of people. And you notice there's four types of soil, and we're actually going to unpack this more next week, so I won't spend too much time on this. Uh, But the soil, first you have the soil that's the path or along the road, represents a hard heart or unreceptive heart. Hindrances is it falls along the path, and so Satan takes advantage of the hard heart and swoops in. The result is it's devoured. Then you have the rocky soil. Uh, The rocky soil is a shallow heart. Uh, It has um, really an emotional or experiential relationship with God, but there isn't any depth to it. And so you live on emotional high to emotional high. And when there is no emotional high, you go, well, then then God must not be real. Hindrances is when the minute trials or pain come in, all of a sudden your faith begins to falter and wither because there is no root to sustain it. And so the result is it's scorched or withered. For, uh, third type of soil is the weeds or the thorn. And this would be the crowded heart, represents the crowded heart. Uh, the busy uh, soul gets attached to all the wrong things, doesn't it? And so the hindrances is distractions and worries and stuff and muchness and got to take them here and got to take my kids here and got to do this and I got to, you know, I got to finish all the stuff for work and I got to do this. And we live in a very busy, demanding world that pulls all of our attention. Isn't this interesting? It pulls all of our attention to things that don't matter that are temporary and causes us to pull our eyes and attention off to the things that are eternal and really matter most. And this is the distracted heart, crowded out by worries and distractions. The result is it's choked out, and there's no fruit. Then finally, the good heart. It's the receptive heart, or you can write under there, the responsive heart. In fact, I just have you notice, it doesn't say the perfect heart. I love that. It doesn't say, it doesn't say has their act together heart. It doesn't say they have it all figured out heart. God says good soil that produces a good crop is a responsive heart to the word of God, the person of Jesus, every single time. This is the the condition of the soil determines how you're going to grow. We're going to talk a lot about that big idea next week. The good soil is the receptive heart. Hindrances... None. They hear and respond. It doesn't mean that they don't have distractions. It's just that they respond. It doesn't mean that there isn't trials and pain. It means that they, they have roots that go down deeper. So when those happen, and the results, they bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Can I just say this? Because I, I don't know where you're at. And you were intended, you were designed to be fruitful. You, your design wasn't just to somehow eke out life. Somehow get by. Make it through the week so you can enjoy the weekend. You were designed by the God of the universe to be fruitful, full of life. Those eight qualities we listed, that's his ultimate design. That's the kingdom. That's kingdom living. We think of kingdom living, oh, I got to give up a whole lot of stuff. Kingdom living is joy. John 15, he says, he says, if you abide in me, my joy will be in you, and, my, and then your joy will be complete. He says, I want to give you joy. I found for myself, because I've been wrestling with this a bit, 
that the reason I, joy is so elusive in my life is I keep chasing after happiness instead of chasing after God. See, happiness is a good byproduct. It's just a terrible goal. Starting place then. You, you have the soil. You have the seed. Now, you have the sower. And I want to spend a little bit of time here. The sower is the generous father. Now, historically, this passage, and that's the reason I have it in the text, historically, this passage is titled, and it's not like in the Bible titled this way, but it's been centuries that we've titled this way, uh, the parable of the sower. Uh, Modern scholars um, and commentators, because it talks so much about the soil, have begun to call this the parable of the soils, and and there's some truth to that. This is the parable of the soil, but what happens is then we begin to miss out that this is fundamentally a parable about a sower, a generous father. Did you just notice? I mean, just look at this. The farmer went out to plant some seed. Think about where he planted all this seed. As he scattered it across the field, some seed he scattered on the path. I mean, come on. I'm I'm no farmer, but that sounds dumb. Come on. I mean, if I'm hearing this story, I'm going like, man, he's a bad farmer. Bad. He's not good. And then he says, others on the shallow soil. Doesn't the farmer know the condition of the soil? Weedy soil. I'm not... And then good soil. See, here's what we miss. That is so powerful. See, spiritual growth, the starting place for spiritual growth, the starting place for growth for you personally, for me, isn't out there. The starting place is with God. It's always with God. And it's always from a place of grace. It always starts with God, and we always start out here. We have goals and agendas and we have to-do lists that say, I want to grow and in these areas, and you may not say, I want to grow, but you say, I'm going to achieve these things. And he says, no, no, no. It starts with the sower and it starts with the generous father that says, I don't care where you're at. I'm not asking you to shape up or get your act together. I'm going to sow the seed with generosity wherever, even if you're in a hard heart, I'm bringing it to you. Even if you're weedy, I'm bringing it to you. You don't have to somehow work your way, get your way. I'm bringing it to you. The starting place of spiritual growth always begins with God. See, this is what we got messed up in our society, by the way, because we're just so self-centered, self-focused, me, 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 me. You somehow, we somehow think the starting place of growth is me. No. And that's the reason so oftentimes we don't experience the growth and become the person we long to become because our eyes are focused on us. The kingdom life is not becoming more me. The kingdom life is you are ultimately designed to be with God. In fact, I love how Dallas Willard says it. He says, you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's grand universe. That is the most important thing for you to know about you. John Ortberg then says this, you are a soul made by God, made for God, 
and made to need God, which means you were not made to be self-sufficient. And some of the way we're trying to grow is how do I pull myself up with my own bootstraps and become my self-made man or woman? And he says, the starting place is this confession. The starting place isn't in me. The starting place is God. I was made for God. Life works when I enter in and go, God, would you, would you take me? That is kingdom living. You will restore it. And then, by the way, by the way, from a place of grace, from a place of grace. See, some of us are trying to grow by um, the way I try to do diets. And, and the way I do diets is, I go, I'm not going to eat that cake. And then the cake's in front of me. God, that looks really good. I'll start tomorrow. And then I take a bite of the cake. And I eat the cake, and I go, oh, that was delicious. And then uh, a minute later, I, I, I have this thought. Shouldn't have eaten the cake. <laughs> All right, you, you've been there. And then what happens after that? Immense shame. Guilty. See, some of you, 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 you just hit yourself over the head way more than God ever longs for you to be hit over the head. Starting place of growth starts with God, and He's a God of grace. It doesn't mean there's not conviction, by the way. It doesn't mean that there isn't this conviction that that was wrong and I need to repent. Uh, Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 7 about the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, worldly sorrow leads to shame and hiding. Hiding will kill you. Nothing good grows in the dark. And see, what we do is we go in the church world, instead of going, hey, there's a generous father who's scattering seed everywhere, and all I have to do to be a good heart is respond wherever I am. I might be the hardest heart, but if I respond, I become the good soil. And he's scattering the seed, the word of God, and Jesus everywhere. You don't have to work your way up. But what we do in church world is this. We recognize we're not who we want to be, and there's some habits that have formed that if anyone else knew, then, boy, they wouldn't like us, and, and maybe we wouldn't be accepted. And so there's this shame, and there's this identity around it, and then we just cover up, and we hide and you show up, and you act as if everything's okay, and everything's all right, and you fake it. And I fake it. See, grace is this. I love what uh, Henry Nounen, uh, not Henry Nounen, but uh, Henry Cloud and Stuart, uh, Stuart Townsend said in How People Grow. A key component of growth is grace. Enough grace to open up and bring things into the light to be healed. When we hide, we will not experience healing. We will not experience growth. When we hide, 
it will always keep us stuck in the internal, interior world that matters most, that affects everything else, withers and dies and decays. And so the starting place of growth is to go, okay, it begins with God and from a pr- place of grace. I've received his undeserved, unmerited favor. I can't earn it. And so I'm free to be me because I know everyone else in this room screwed up too. So let's stop faking it. You want to see this uh, church grow? You want to see us become who God made us to be and have an impact? It, It begins with us stop hiding, stopping playing games and just opening up and going, okay, I'm going to be real and I need help. Will you be a part of that? You know what people want to see on the outside isn't perfect people, plastic people. They want to see real people who are walking with God in all the hurt and the pain because they're in those same spots. Um, I've shared this uh, a couple times. I, when I was uh, probably seven years old, I was down in the basement of my uncle in West West Virginia's house, and my older brothers were watching a movie, and I remember it clear to this day, and it was uh, some rated R movie, and out of the bed comes this woman with, a, with her top off, and at seven years old, I went, wow, you know, and I looked at my brothers like, what in the world? I'd never seen those before. Um, now, what's interesting is that moment, seven years old, I can remember it clearly, and it marked me, and shaped me, and it set actually sent me on a journey as I entered my teenage years, then uh, started going through and trying to find um, anything I could of, like my mom's like, I mean, it's so embarrassing, you know, Macy's catalog, lingerie section, you know, and uh, then my parents were on the front edge of cutting technology because they had people, so we had, you know, dial-up um, AOL in high school, and do-do-do, uh, you remember that? Man, I'm so glad I didn't grow up today. I'm so scared for my boys. And it sent me on this dark journey of hiding. Spending hours looking. And and, and what scientists tell us is that it actually neurologically shapes your brain. And so they're actually, in in breaking any addiction, is a neurological reshaping that has to occur. Got to tell you, spent years hiding, feeling guilty, shame. God, I don't want to do this, but I don't want to stop. Repeat. Broken cycle. See, godly sorrow is simply this. The Holy Spirit gives a clear conviction. This is wrong. Condemnation from from the world is, you're wrong. And no, he says, no, no, you're love, forgiven, and paid for. This is wrong. Repentance is turning and saying, okay, I'm going to get help. I'm going to stop hiding. I'm going to take the next step. Remember, I remember as a, I got caught, you know, not like in the act, thank God, uh, but I got caught as a, uh, as a high schooler, the, their computer was getting 
And it was the most horrible, wonderful moment of my teenage life because finally I didn't have to live in a secret hiding anymore. And I've got to be honest, it's been a journey. But here's what I know and here's what I learned. I remember a guy named Andy Stanley said this comment and it stuck with me so long. Nothing good grows in the dark. And so often we have the longing, the desire to grow, and yet there are things in us that we're hiding that keeps us from growing because we don't understand that it starts with God, not us, and it comes from a place of grace and enough grace to come out from hiding and go, this is where I'm at. I need healing. I need hope. And it only starts when you go, help. Help. As long, by the way, as long as you keep hiding, you will not experience the growth you long to become the person you long to be. Here's what's interesting. The hard heart is so much closer to the Father than they even know. He scatters the seed so generously. The distracted heart is so much closer. If you're here and you're just distracted, you're so much closer to the Father and to grace than you you even know. The shallow heart is so much closer. You're so much closer than you know. It's right there. And the question is simply, how will you and I respond? I want to do something. I'm going to invite Michelle and the guys to come up. And it just is a thought I had this morning. Um, and actually, where's Dwayne and Dana? Are they in here? Can you guys just come up to the front with me? I, I want to spend an intimate moment with you, and I don't want to leave this moment. I realize we can have this, this moment together and go, oh, yes. And then you walk out, and, and it's so easy to be clear in the moment, have a conviction from God, and then never move forward on it. And if you're here, and I don't care what it is, if you're here and you just need to like go, man, I need to get something off my chest or I need prayer. I need to come out from hiding. You can do it. And you know it's a place of grace, man. We're going to pray for you, love on you, be a part of the journey. If you're here and you go like, man, I'm stuck in a a porn addiction. Oh man, I have an eating disorder. Or oh man, I I have an anger issue and it stays below and only my family knows. Now word, everybody thinks I'm a great guy, but this and and you just need to come out from hiding and start the process of growth. Say, God help, I can't do it on my own. Stop hiding, step into his grace. I want to give you that opportunity. And so as we worship, Dwayne and Dana, who are just uh, core to us as a church and myself, will be up at the front. And if you just want to come forward and just have prayer and, uh, and just go, hey, I come out from hiding. We want to be a community that grows together that grows and becomes more like Jesus. That is who we are designed to be. Let me pray. God, I I ask that in this moment, as we take the next steps, that uh, each person, as they've heard from you, that you would give them to wisdom to know what to do with it and the courage to, to do what you've called them to do. God, may we be a church defined 
by healing and grace and hope and love and a people. A people who, who express all of our inadequacies in such a way that says, you know what, we have a great God who's covered all of those. In Jesus' name, amen.